It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by an attacking trio of Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and looking ahead to Sunday's trip to Bournemouth. And it is at the Vitality Stadium that we will kick off today's pod. Um, four Premier League games, Prenel played at that, at that ground. Two defeats, two draws. Um, why have we found it so difficult to go and get a result at Bournemouth? It's, oh gosh, a difficult one to answer because um, Everton have found themselves in winning positions on a number of occasions down there and just haven't seen it through. Um, for such a small stadium, it's quite an atmospheric place and, you know, not the easiest uh, ground to go to. Has a little bit of complacency crept in on occasion, I don't know. You know, Bournemouth have been quite an uh, enterprising, upwardly mobile side in the Premier League era. Um, I think just a little bit of discipline has been lacking on occasions and I think that's why Everton have, uh, you know, found it difficult uh, would you a win? That's the way to look at it. And um, I'm quite optimistic uh, the way Everton have started the season. I'm just a little bit concerned that you know we're very very strong at home at the moment mm. and away from home, not being quite the case certainly you know already this season. So I don't know. Just uh, want to get that you know sort of ruled out straight away. Get get a win not on the road and you know so you can hit the ground running there. Must be, it has to be a mentality issue, though, Prano, with away games because it's invariably similar size pitch. It's just a football stadium. It's just yeah. you know. So why, I mean, specifically in our case, then why do you think we have over the long term struggled away from home? You need character uh, amongst the players. Certainly, I mean that game at Villa Park on the Friday night. It was a raucous atmosphere. Um, you know, it needed strong characters to respond to that and to you know be a little bit more detached and a little bit more clinical. Maybe not quite as detached as Andre Gomez was, allowing free kicks to be taken quite so quickly. Uh, but no, top half of his body was detached from his legs. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, you do. You, you need to have uh, quite a, a strong character, you know, so strong spirit. And we've said in this room many times that you know, in recent years, that's been lacking in a couple of occasions in the squad. You know, so we need stronger characters, and that's starting to happen. We are seeing, you know, guys with more strength of character. Fabian Delph fits that bill perfectly, and you know, you hope that his attitude is going to rub off on other players as well. Uh, so you do need that uh, to get wins on the road uh, when you get yourself into a winning position which Everton have done on a number of occasions see it through you know shut up shop you know be disciplined uh, close space down even more relentlessly than you had been doing previously uh, it's all a state of mind and Everton need to prove that they've got that the way the way I always see it is that under boys I always thought that we changed the way we played at home to be a little bit more defensively structured when we went away from home and then under Martinez he didn't really change the way we played at home, which was obviously a little bit more attacking uh, and, and going for results, which meant that we were quite often left open. You know, I'm sure we've also got, all got some terrible memories of some Martinez away days, mainly that took place at Anfield, and and then I think since then we've kind of lost our identity and kind of lost who we are away from home. In that, I don't think we really know what we're supposed to be doing, whether we we should be changing the way we play, whether we we should be keeping it the same. And, and as Preno says, I think it's only really now that you're starting to see players who come in and they don't really have this baggage of 
you know, struggling away from home because I think if, if in any of these past seasons where we've done well, we'd have matched our home form away from home, we'd have probably been easily in, in the top four and, and that is something that, that massively needs addressing because how many games did we even win away last season? Think about this early four or five maybe. So, but on, but on that's that, an improvement though. Yeah. On previous well, That's what I'm saying. It's still an improvement, but it's still not good enough for a team like Everton to only win four or five games away from home, especially when you think about the strength of the Premier League and, and the teams down down the bottom. And you know, I think you said the other day, Adam, that the Aston Villa 2-0 kind of replicates the Fulham 2-0 of last season. And mm-hmm. if we're kind of going on, you know, we're five points up on home, yeah. But again, I think the the away form is obviously going to play a massive factor in whether we break this top six or at least you know improve on last season and get seventh. So I'd maybe try to stay as positive as we can about <laughs> about trips and, and and looking at the looking at the admittedly a small sample size of the of the victories we got away from home last season. What from from your memory can you take about what was the key to those games? How did we play? Was it on the counter attack? Was it was it, was it something? Do we set up a way which which made us, you know, helped us get a result in those games and pre- previously in other games and either side of them we did. I wouldn't say in particular we set up on the counter attack. I think the the one away victory that kind of stands out to me is the one away to Leicester, mm. and that certainly wasn't a counter attack and sort of display. I think you know it was the first time we'd seen Richarlison play up front, so we had just a little bit of a different dynamic, and I think that massively helped us. I remember Bernard having a very good game that day. Obviously, Luca Dean had a very good game that day. So, you know, Leicester, especially in that first half, like, struggled to deal with us quite a bit. And I think, especially, like, when Morgan got sent off, we started to dominate the game that little bit more. And I think it goes back to what, you know, something Silver was saying in his, like, right at the end of his press conference today, you know, he was asked, you know, do you change your system, uh, particularly for home games and away games? And he said, no. And I, mm. I think that's probably the right way to go about it because he was saying, look, for, for every match, whether it's home or away, all you do is you look at your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. But at the same time, he wants to focus more on how Everton are strong, you know, where we're best going forward. Because at the end of the day, there's no point trying to set up to exploit a team's weakness if it's something that we won't do for the other 37 games of the season. Like, we're not going to be able to do it as productively as if we were just focusing on our own game and trying to break teams down in a way that we know how. And I think that it, it goes back to what you were saying. It's a, it is sort of a mentality thing. I think if we can just find that sort of mentality where it's just like, all right, well, we need to impose ourselves on this game, whether we've got, you know, 10,000 fans shouting against us, 30,000, 40,000 shouting against us, you know, like we are good enough to impose ourselves on this game, whether we're home or away. And I think, you know, Against a team like Bournemouth, this is these are the kind of type of games a bit like that Leicester game this mm. last season, where you know Leicester obviously wanted to try and dominate that game on their on their home turf. You know, an attacking team wanted to try to play their own way, and we just didn't let them on that day. I think it's got to be similar for this Bournemouth game. They're not going to be trying to sit back at all. You look at them recently playing against Man City. You know, they would had a lot of attack and threat in that game. Obviously, scored a really really good goal as well, but. You know, Everton have just got to impose themselves and just say no. We are, we are the dominant side here, and you know, I, I do think it is mainly down to that mentality. And you know, if Silver can kind of, kind of crack that, then you know, as Sam was saying, if we can get our home for like our away form closer to our home form, then you know, we we're, we're looking really good from like now to the end of the season. Just looking at the um, you know the fixtures from last season, there's a couple of like you know sort of glaring standout moments. 
Boxing Day, go to Turf Moor, you know, a really tough place to go and win 5-1. Three days later, lose at Brighton. Yes. You know, like the mindset clearly wasn't right, you know, so three days after such a great victory. Only a month later again, um, go to Southampton, get beat 2-1, really disappointing. And then a week later, well, not a week later, it was a long, long break then, wasn't it? But um, Huddersfield away, win 1-0. You know, it's just getting the mindset right, mm-hmm. you know, so being consistent, um, making sure that, you know, so everybody is absolutely, you know, so up for every single game. And that probably hasn't been the case, you know, so as often as it should have been. It, it, it might sound too simple to say that it's just one man, but you can't help but feel that Delph will massively impact on that. Yeah, and obviously thinking about the, the Leicester game last season, as Adam says, you know, I think I remember just a Garner Gay playing a, a pretty key role in, in, in most of our away games that we, that we came out with a positive result. And I think... That's what stood out to a lot of people after the Wolves game, wasn't it? I don't think there was anyone who, who could argue that Delft didn't look impressive in that role. Really kind of similar debut to, to when Gareth Barry made his appear. I think his, his debut was against Arsenal, but then there was that Chelsea. kind of... Chelsea. Chelsea, sorry, yeah. There was that standout moment, wasn't there, when he blocked Samuel Eto'o's kind of open goal mm. and people really started to kind of appreciate the player he was. And, you know, I think Preno wrote an article on it about how he could end up being, you know, one of the signings of the summer, not just for Everton, but across the entire Premier League. And that is the thing about away days in the Premier League. You know, when you play these teams who maybe have similar aspirations to Everton, but aren't as big a club as Everton, you know, your Bournemouth and your Wolves and your Leicesters, you know, they will want to kind of dominate games and, and you will need, you know, you, you can't have even two or three players having off days. You need nine, ten players to be at it. 90, 100% for the, for the entire game to to get the result. And already, I think you can see from Delft that it's not just his own performance that, that impacts upon the game. It's the way he kind of leads others. And, you know, certainly it looks like others kind of look up to him and, and respect his impact on the pitch, on the in the dressing room and, and on the training pitch as well. So hopefully we see a, a big performance from him. Hopefully he leads by example. But then at the same time, you know, I was asked by Bournemouth for some expert insight this mm. week. Yeah, and, well, uh, why did they ask you? Well, exactly. I think I think <laughs> the first ten people they asked were all available. <laughs> you know, and, and they kind of asked where where Everton's kind of strengths lie, and, and I do genuinely think that the the surprise, you know, we've said it a few times, but you know, this new kind of front four that we've stumbled upon of Awobi, Sigurdsson, mm. Richarlison, and Keane, you know, you only need one or two of them to be fired, and 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 you know, although the four of them are all attacking players, they're all kind of bring the different attributes to the game, and I think. One or two of them have, have an impact on Sunday, and you know you look at that Bournemouth defence, and, and and it's okay, but you know they're missing the first choice left back, and you know there's just there's a real chance there to go and maybe do what we thought we might do with Villa and, and, and give a statement performance. Imagine coming away and beating them two or three nil, and, and then building on that because I think that's definitely what we need early season to to give us that little bit of impetus. You know we've got Man City kind of coming up. You know and imagine leading up to that with wins at Bournemouth. You know we're winning the Carabao Cup, beat Sheffield United, and get Goodison absolutely rocking for that one. But it's, mm. it's again like the Aston Villa game, isn't it? You lose and it almost feels like you're all the way back to square one mm. because we have to start eventually putting these teams away yeah. because that's what over the last few years has kind of made your Tottenham's and your Liverpool's teams who, when maybe Moyes left Everton, were, were in the same kind of situation as, as us, have kept them kind of ticking along and, and pushing more towards the upper echelons of the league and the Champions League because they win the games that, you know, the, the favourites for. And that's what, for too long... 
Everton haven't done away from home. I had exactly that same conversation with somebody at Everton last week, looking ahead, which you should never, ever do. Mm. But, you know, winning at Bournemouth, beating Sheffield United, winning in the Carabao Cup, all games that you should be looking to win. And then suddenly you have got Saturday tea time, Manchester City, raucous atmosphere, who knows what could happen. But it only takes one slipshod performance in those three games, you know, for the whole pack of cards to come tumbling down, you start all mm. over again, yeah. which is why the mentality is so important and why somebody like Fabian Delph could be such an inspired signing. I mean, it's only one player, but one player can make a big difference, not just to the team by his quality of his performances, but by his force of personality. Yeah. And it's happened before. I mean, you know, it's a long time ago, admittedly, but Andy Gray made such a difference to that Everton team uh, when he arrived because he was a winner, because somebody who'd done it many times previously. And he, on a young, fragile squad, confidence-wise, he gave them that sense of, you know, um, confidence. You look at all the goals that Everson scored in that era and he's always the first person there congratulating the person that scored. Uh, and despite what he did on the pitch, which was considerable, what he did in the dressing room was even mm. more important. And Fabian Delph could be similar in that respect. He's not as demonstrative and he's not as outgoing, you know, from what we've seen so far. But from what he's said in the interviews he's given, he clearly does, you know, have this absolute burning will to win and a desire to try and pass that on to his teammates. So, you know, it could be, you know, an important signing as much as that, as it is for what he brings on the pitch. Well, I think that that's what struck me, you know, speaking to him after the Wolves game in the mix zone, it was, you know, we asked the question, you know, you've come from Man City, obviously, where the expectation almost is to that you're going to go in and win any every game. You know, do you find that it's a little bit different now coming from City to Everton? And he said, no, I, I, I still go into every game and I'm saying, well, why can't we win? Like, the, I, I expect to win every single football match that I play and you know that's the exact sort of mentality that you that you want to have from all your players and you know Fabian Delph has always said you know since he's come to Everton he said well I don't think of myself as a leader I want to just bring everybody up to have that responsibility of being leaders like because we need leaders across the pitch and hopefully if you know if Delph can now instill this sort of mentality onto the rest of his teammates as well because you know he, he seems like he's going to be a voice of the dressing room he might, he might actually become a leader whether he wants to be one of a few or not that mm. might you know it might just become that mightn't it because yeah. of his force of personality and you know there's a lot of young players around him as well we can't mm-hmm. forget and yes we've got Coleman mm. Luca Dean is that type of character um, but even even your other senior players Sigurdsson isn't necessarily isn't that kind of outgoing character, yeah. is he? So maybe Fabian doesn't necessarily want to be one of the only leaders, but actually will naturally become it. And well, he will naturally become it as well because of how much experience That's he's got in I mean, the Premier yeah. League. Like he is, you know, he's so well versed in, you know, going to these sort of grounds and just grinding out mm. the best possible results. You know, he's done this for Aston Villa. He's obviously done it for Man City and won the league twice. Well, you know, for majority of one of those seasons playing in a position unfamiliar to him. Mm. You know, that's the kind of player that Everton have brought on board there. And, you know, if he can, you know, as I say, if he can not just show those qualities in himself, but try and instil them on the players around him, then, you know, Everton are on to a real winner with his signing. Obviously, as well, I remember, you know, a couple of seasons back or maybe 18 months or so ago on this podcast talking about, you know, where the leaders lie at Everton, but it's it's a positive discussion now, isn't it? Because, Mm. you know, although Sigurdsson doesn't look like the most natural leader you know, the way Silver has his kind of leadership, what's he call it, is like... You mean, you mean his group of captains? His group of captains. Yeah, 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 his, leadership group type of thing, yeah. Yeah, the, lead, the way he has that, you know, he doesn't look like he's just kind of picking these by random or picking them because he's, you know, 30 and played in the Premier League for for a long time, yeah. you know, and then you had Delph, but then I also think, like, you are starting to get people emer- emerging as leaders, you know, there's no doubt that Pickford is a kind of 
is an undoubted presence on on the pitch and you know seemingly well respected by his teammates despite you know for for a goalkeeper in, in goalkeeping years being a, a baby really mm. you know I think Luca Dean is another one Andre Gomez seems to have a, a you know a, a big personality on the pitch Michael Keane is is a completely different character and I think has been brought on by the responsibility of having to help Yeni Mina as he kind of develops his English as well so you know now you're kind of thinking Everton are starting to to plug holes with a lot more leaders and and people who kind of want to take the fight to other teams and and that can only benefit us in the in the long run because you know four or five years down the line you've put and you know you can include Tom Davis in that as well probably if he you know if he stays at Everton that you know you've got four or five kind of ready-made captains and hopefully it'll still be Silver in charge with that decision with a happy headache and, and, a, and a big decision to make. Um, Pran, I'm going to read you the starting eleven from last season's game at Bournemouth and tell me if you think we're going to be yeah. stronger. This season, that's um, okay. Pickford, Coleman, Holgate, Keane, Baines, Walcott, Davis, Guy, Richarlison, Sigurdsson, Tosin. One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was an open goal for me there, really, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. You can see significant flaws, you know, so in that starting lineup. Without wanting to throw anybody under a bus, um, automatically the defence looks uh, an awful lot more solid. I mean, I was. A bit slow to convert, really, to, to Lucas Dean because I was such a Leighton Baines fan. And obviously that was the uh, performance last season that cost him his first team place. And it was the first sloppy performance we've seen from Leighton Baines in a long, long time. Yeah. But, you know, we conceded the penalty. Uh, we, you know, we, we drew a game 2-2 that we should have won. Um, and Mark Silver had seen enough and brought Lucas Dean straight in, which I thought was a little harsh, a little hasty. But, you know, clearly, you know, you blew those thoughts away because Dean's been absolutely magnificent ever since. Uh, so defensively, you know, the, the squad looks you know, entirely stronger. Uh, but that front four, you know, going forward, there's so much more strength and goal threat now, you know, so in the four that we already have. And that's including, you know, a young man who's still finding his feet in the Premier League who hasn't actually scored a goal yet in Moise Keane. Mm. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the front four that we've got there all looks fluid or looks penetrating, you know, so it creates opportunities. And it's only like two or three weeks since we were bemoaning that, you know, we're talking about Crystal Palace away and uh, the first home game against Watford and, you know, so how that was lacking from the other uh, squad. And that seems to have been addressed very, very quickly. Um, we've still got three or four players that were all still improving. Alex Iwobi's looked great so mm. far, but there's still plenty more to come from him. Moise Keane, there's an awful lot more to come. Um, so it can only get better with Charleston. I mean, I still don't think he's at his best yet by a long stretch, but, you know, he's, he's scored important goals. A little bit disappointed he had to go the other side of the uh, Atlantic on international duty. I was hoping he might get a bit of a break this week, you know, and come back refreshed. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, he's a young man that can certainly handle that. But yeah, the squad looks altogether stronger. or The, the starting 11 looks altogether stronger than it did then. But you've got to do it on the pitch. You've got to make that count. And these are the kinds of games that Everton need to win. You know, so another disappointing draw or frustrating draw or heaven knows even a defeat. And suddenly you start, you know, thinking, oh God, there we go again. You know, so the away issues, you know, rearing their head. Very, very important, the game on Sunday. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And fully expected to be in starting 11 will be Yeri Mina. Um, Adam, this week, Yeri Mina hit with a £10,000 fine and... Uh, a ticking off, shall mm. we say, from the FA after he uh, filmed a betting advert for a Colombian betting firm and was therefore in breach of FA rules. Um, has he been fairly dealt with, harshly dealt with? What are your thoughts on the uh, punishment wheeled out by the authorities on this one? It's just an intriguing sort of scenario, isn't it? Uh, I think th- there was a, a few concerns when he was first charged that he might 
be handed some sort of ban for this rather than a fine. Uh, apparently, the club never thought that was going to be the case, and you know we've seen now in the written reasons as to why, uh, you know, he was admitted it at the earliest possible opportunity, cut ties with them as soon as he possibly could. All of the money was going to the Yeni Mina Foundation anyway, which I think is, to be honest, a nice touch, mm. really. So <laughs> he has been in breach of rules, so you can understand why the FA have given him essentially a bit of a slap on the wrist and a fine. But at the same time, it is it is just such a strange juxtaposition because Everton are sponsored by a betting firm that are themselves, you know, and Everton are far from the only club in the Premier League yeah. who have ties with, bet, you know, various betting firms. So it, it's just really strange that players would be, you know, allowed to walk out onto the pitch every day with, you know, betting firms emblazoned yes. across their and chest. And do the relevant sort of... Um, Post-match yeah, media. Yeah, and, and all, all the sort of relevant sort yeah. of things that go with all the, the deal. promotions, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they just can't seemingly do it with other other companies like mm. yeah, apparently that's extremely frowned upon and will will lead to a ban i think that's the bit that confuses most fans and i think you know any sort of clarification from the fa or you know a little bit of a tweak to the rules maybe might might be in order because otherwise it, we are just going to be left in these confusing little scenarios mm. like you can see why why Mina would be confused himself and why he wouldn't know about this sort of rule because, you know, why, if why would, why if would he come said to that think that? that? It would have been explained to all the players, but obviously I think Everton had said, well, his grasp of English at that point wasn't great. But oh, equally, yeah, exactly. even if his grasp of English was, was 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 as good as it probably is now, as you say, it would still confuse well, yeah, why it, can't it, I? It, 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 conf- it confused me and it confused, you know, I've seen, I know that it confused a lot of fans. You know, there were a lot of fans after this decision was made thinking, well, why is he allowed to wear ball pacer every mm. every day? But he's going to get yeah. he's going to get a, a fine and a slap on the wrist for this. It's just yeah, it's just a weird one for me. If he was if he was in the Betty on County Road with half twelve on Saturday, <laughs> then you'd think maybe, wouldn't you? But you know, the best way go and you know, in fairness to get, he looked quite suave in his bright orange suit. But <laughs> here, here we are. But it's as Adam says, isn't it? It's just a kind of bizarre situation. I think I've seen a few people kind of point fingers at the Premier League that, you know, they've moved to kind of slap people on the wrist for stuff like this while, you know, there's there's really serious issues going on that seemingly get let off. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, but, you know, to, to kind of look at Mina so far, he's been probably a kind of success story of the season that's just quietly gone under the radar, hasn't it? I think there was a little bit of concern when the transfer window closed um, and, we, and we hadn't brought in a, a centre-back and there was also that kind of weird thing that, you know, out of all the good work brands and silver had done in the transfer market, we'd went and spent thirty million on a centre back from Barcelona who didn't get in the team, couldn't displace Michael Keane or Kurt Zuma, and most willingly kind of got bullied off against Millwall, got bullied by John Akindi <laughs> at, at Goodison Park when Lincoln came last season. But he's you know he's bounced back and he, he looks like Keane and doubled the you know twice the play he did last season and and it's been really enjoyable to watch him. You know, I don't know. I think. He might get a kind of unfair rap sometimes, Mina, just because of almost the he looks quite leggy and you know he has that kind of Joseph Yobo feel about him that that maybe he's got a mistake in him. But but so far this season he's he's stuck up a sound partnership with with Michael Keane and looks to be kind of getting even better. And, and and another surprising thing is that you know he's looked really good on the ball this season. And again, it might just be kind of symptomatic of the fact he's he's a, he's a tall lad. But you know I think. The, the way he kind of brings the ball out and he's he's always quite cool and composed and and then obviously as well I think if he throws in a kind of 
a few goals to his game. You know, he had that chance at Anfield last season. And he scored one so far to get one against Burnley. Mm. Yeah, you I, know, think, I think he squared up to every Premier League centre forward there is. <laughs> Remember on his debut when he was on for like thirty seconds, and he squared up to Glenn Murray. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not scared of a he's not scared of a scrap. And you know, no. so far uh, he's another one who looks like you know, which has been a, a kind of pleasing aspect of everyone that Silver and Brands have bought in. You know, they generally buy into the kind of ethos of Everton and you know they all seemingly have a really good relationship with the supporters so long may it continue for, for Yeti and hopefully that continues this weekend against Bournemouth with, with another clean sheet and you know I think the more it goes on with this Mina and Keane partnership the less you know obviously we were, we were all sitting here panicking just after the deadline had closed kind of talking about that, that lack of a centre-back but you know hopefully we can now get through to next season and you know we're kind of more thinking about bringing in someone to just play as a as a reserve to, to Keane and Mina for the way they're going on. So, yeah. Just on that, that well, whether it was a real threat or whether it was just, you know, understandable concern amongst sections of the fan base that Mina could have had a ban for this. So, for example, hypothetically say that had happened and would have left us with two senior centre-halves. Yeah. Lewis Gibson is a, an up-and-coming young centre-half, but probably not ready for playing Premier League football. Has it perhaps been overlooked in this discussion about Yeri and, and and this week that do we need to go in January and f- and f- and find another centre half? Hundred percent, yeah. There's a degree of hypocrisy at work here, and that the Premier League can't actively endorse betting companies in terms of the money that they bring into the Premier League, which is significant, but then try and clamp down on individuals like Yeri Mina. I appreciate that laws and rules have to be observed, and I just think that Yeri was a little bit naive in this respect. Um, he's accepted, you know, what he did wasn't allowed, you know, in this country, and you know he's accepted his punishment. I think to have banned him would have been outrageously harsh, and I think it would have seen a, you know, a huge reaction from Everson if that had been the case, and it would have set a quite an unfortunate precedent mm. uh, for the rest of the Premier League uh, to follow as well. Uh, but yeah, to answer the the question, I mean, we were concerned in the summer about the lack of central defensive cover, and I'm still just as concerned now. I mean, it's very important that Michael Keane and Yeri Mina stay fit. Yes. I mean, the season's only in its infancy at the moment. You haven't played many games at all. Uh, Mason Holgate has looked shaky whenever I've seen him uh, this season, and you know, hopefully he can get over that if needed and can improve if required. Lewis Gibson, we don't know whether he can handle, you know, so the Premier League just yet. I mean, Gabamin was supposed to be the cover uh, for central defence, but clearly, you know, injury means that he's going to be out of the equation for some considerable time. So we don't know whether he can do a job there. So as much as the consistency of performance is important, the consistency of fitness is important. I mean, it was just uh, Bournemouth last season where uh, Michael Keane suffered, you know, the bizarre, you know, fractured skull. Hairline fracture. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's not been very, very lucky with his injuries during his time at Everton <laughs> up until recently. And through the wars. Exactly, yeah. you know, Yerry Maynard again. You know, so the two players that have a fairly checkered, you know, sort of past as far as injuries go, just hope that they can keep on top of that because... You know, otherwise, yeah, we will need uh, you know cover before January. Obviously, we can't do anything about it until then. But as, but as Sam alluded to as well, there feels it's early, but there feels like there could be the makings of a partnership there with Keane and Mina. Where I think maybe we'd gone into the summer fearful that uh, an Everton, you know, light on Zuma would would just fall apart at the seams. But it hasn't necessarily. I know. Look, the last two games, yeah. certainly, well, the last game with Mina and Keane together, we conceded two goals that we were disappointed in, but. I think on the, on the whole, maybe, you know, there's been a positive reaction to how those two have yeah, played. Yeah, they, they've both performed very, very well. I mean, admittedly, they haven't faced the absolute potent strike mm. forces of the Premier League just yet. Um, we won't know really until they face them. But it, it's an unlikely partnership. I mean, 
I spoke to a friend of mine who's a Burnley supporter when we signed Michael Keane and asked him what we could expect. And he always said, you know, really, really good player. I liked him a lot, but he needs a dominant personality alongside him. Right. Now, Yerry Mina doesn't really fit that bill, a guy that's like not, you know, English isn't, is, you know, not comfortable uh, speaking English, uh, finding his way in a, in a new country, new culture. And so Michael Keane has had, you know, basically to accept that more dominant role himself and try and guide Yerry Mina through. Uh, seems to have done that very, very well. Um, reacted very well to the mistake he made for England in midweek, which it was a stupid pass, but equally, you know, half his blame needs to go to Ross Barkley yes. for you know, mm. sort of a, a, a loose pass that put him under pressure, which he didn't react well to. But having done that, you know, and the glare of international football, you know, is unforgiving, but he reacted very, very well to it and came through it very, very well. So again, sign of uh, his growing character and personality. So yeah, it's an unlikely partnership, but I'm crossing my fingers here. It's going okay at the moment. So, you know, so just hope that can continue. Yeah. Do you think Mina, of all the signings that have been made under Brands and Silver, it, it, it feels like he's the one that's still got the most to prove? Fairly uh, or not, you know, whether that's unfair or, or right. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And I, and I think, you know, it just goes back to the injury problems that he had last yeah. season. You know, he, he, was a, he was a victim of that circumstance uh, in a lot of respects. But, you know, at the same time, look, he had... A, f- a really, he had a good few performances last season. Like I'm thinking of the two games against Chelsea in yes. particular. Uh, like Played well at Anfield. Yeah, you know, especially those two games against Chelsea. I mean, I know he had a few minutes against Brighton before the first one, but they were off the back of two like two enforced layoffs. Really, mm. he came back straight back into the side, and he was just instantly on the ball. And that, you know, I think is a testament to how well he and Michael Keane can work together. And you know. Preno says it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unlikely partnership because I think in a lot of respects they're fairly similar players. You know, there's there's no, you know, when we had Kurt Zuma, I said a lot of times last season he brought, he brings something that no other Everton centre back has, which was you know obvious pace yes. for one, but a real ability to be able to carry the ball out from the back. You know, we run with it thirty yards powerfully and then like lay it off to a midfielder or whatever. You're not really expecting Michael Keane or Yerry Mina. To do that, they're they're there to be, you know, the big physical presence, you know, strong in the air, you know, giving a giving a real physical battle to any striker that comes up against them. But I think we're seeing on top of that now, both of them reading the game really well, where where they might lack in pace, they're making up for it in the positional sort of play so mm. far this season. We did concede two disappointing goals against Wolves, but neither of them were a fault for them. I don't think. I think both of them come under the fullbacks, yeah. Re- really, like I, I, would, I would put the blame at their door. So, yeah, I do think Yerry Minas does still have a lot to prove. You know, he had, as Sam said, you know, the performances against Lincoln and Millwall. Yeah. You know, those guys, those kinds of teams who are, you know, very single-minded in their approach. Let's say, and you know, trying to be as trying to be as fair to them as possible. They were just, yeah. let, let let's get the ball in the box. Let's let's try and I think that. The key thing there, though, isn't it, is that you'd rather just be sitting here and saying he was outstanding against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and Liverpool at Anfield, but, you know, he got roughed up yeah. by these lower league teams than saying, yeah. oh, he was amazing in these FA Cup and League Cup games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got absolutely done. Yeah. Be- because, you know, we obviously want him to be operating at that level against Chelsea and Liverpool more regularly, you know, than, than these cup games where you're not going to see that type of football. And, and as Adam says, he does have a lot to prove, but one, he's been a little bit a victim of circumstances and and not being fit, you know, he is really only now having his first sustained run of first-team football, which, you know, for a club like Everton and, and, and for all of us, really, we're still kind of used to, if Everton spent big money on someone, 
they play all the games and, and, and they're important players. You know, it was quite bizarre for us last season to have a £30 million defender sitting on the bench or, or on the treatment table. So from what we've seen so far, it's been positive. You know, as, as we've all pointed out there, those games against Chelsea and Liverpool do make me think there is a player in there. But, but as Dave says, you know, it's just fingers crossed he stays fit and, and keeps showing it because, you know, brands especially has built up a kind of trust with the with the supporters. You know, no one... We've only seen glimpses of Keane, Awobi and Delft, but they they still all look like, you know, they're going to be solid purchases. And really, it's just... He doesn't look like the kind of guy who would spend £30 million on someone if, if he didn't have full full faith. I think Marcus Rocco at the end of the window sums that up, doesn't it? You know, where United were kind of saying, well, you'll have to buy him if you want him, and, and Brands is, uh, would, would rather seemingly have, have went into the, the season at a centre-back light. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's positive for Yeti, but again, like tom- tomorrow, Sunday, it's going to be a good, a good test for him. What's going on with Zuma, by the way? <laughs> that is not the Zuma we saw. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Like, Asian Zuma, isn't it? If that's true, he's doing a great job of it. Isn't <laughs> it? It, it is just really odd. I don't know whether you know the pressure of being back at Chelsea is maybe getting to him a little bit, but he, he just he does seem to be a little bit devoid of confidence. You know, maybe that half half a yard, half a yard slower, but like not in terms of like physically, maybe mentally, is just that half a yard a little bit slower. He's doubting himself a little what bit. I w- what seems. I would say is, I don't know if you if you all agree, but. His performances for Chelsea in the first four games or so reflect really well on Marco Silva, because he went from a player who was perhaps not as conv- you know people weren't convinced about him at Stoke mm. got relegated yeah but you know you know in difficult circumstances and yet comes to us and possibly has probably has his best season ever from and goes hit- back to Chelsea and. and Looks a shell of a defender. Mm. From everything we hear uh, coming out of Finch Farm, Marco Silva is a, a very, very popular individual amongst the players. And the thing that they particularly like about him is his attention to detail. Um, he spends time with a lot of them individually, um, coaching them, if you like, you know, so giving them little insights into aspects of their game that can be improved. And is that something that he's done with, you know, Kurt Zuma. I don't know, to be honest, but you wouldn't imagine Frank Lampard's skill set would be teaching central defenders, you know, so how to improve their game. So maybe he has benefited from that. I think it's more likely to be just the fact that he thought he was moving this summer uh, and he isn't. He's gone back there and his head's not been quite right. Um, that but he's o- playing football, though. So he's in that respect, you, could, you might argue, well, he's getting what he wants, which is yeah. playing for Chelsea, which is when he, when he came to the club last August, he was fully set on yeah. returning to Chelsea and playing, which admittedly a lot, a lot of water's gone under the bridge and his, his focus did change, but he's playing for Chelsea. So Yeah, it's just strange because that performance at Old Trafford on the, was at the opening weekend mm. was just like so out of character. You know, you couldn't put a foot right that day. And, you know, maybe it only takes one performance like that to maybe start doubting yourself and maybe it's just a hangover from that and he will eventually recover if he's allowed to, if he's playing regularly. And, you know, we'll see the courtesy that we saw, you know, for a long period at Everton. Because let's face it, it wasn't all, you know, yeah. sort of roses last season. I mean, that home game against Tottenham where, you know, him and Pickford didn't seem to know what each other was doing most of the time. Mm. Uh, but he recovered from that, you know, so and put in a series of very, very sterling performances after that. So I think that's the thing, isn't it? That I remember after that, that Tottenham game o- over Christmas, going home and just saying, it's an absolute waste of space. That's yeah. I don't, don't know why we even got him on loan because for, for, until then, you know, obviously it had been, it, it was kind of in the midst of that difficult run we had, but he, he weren't kind of doing anything that suggested, 
He was a player that Chelsea handed a, a six-year contract at, at one point, which maybe kind of says, you know, and, and maybe this doesn't speak volumes of him at, at the moment, but, you know, it, it maybe suggests that he'll kind of grow into the season mm. and, and grow into the way Lampard wants to play. But I think also Lampard is maybe playing a little bit more expansive and, and maybe leaving the two centre-backs a little bit more exposed. But, you know, it, it must be a difficult place for Zuma to be, mustn't it? I think probably when the season ended... You know, I know he kind of said he wanted to get on with Chelsea and, and play in the Champions League or the Europa League and stuff like that. And But, you know, surely at the back of his mind, he must have kind of been half expecting that Everton would pull out all the stops to sign him. And, and then you're a new manager who kind of puts this faith in you. And, and it must be a, a difficult situation for a professional footballer to be in. But, you know, as you said, Phil, I think, you know, you look at that player who played in some of those, you know, the, the, the nil-nil with Liverpool, the win over Manchester United and, and Arsenal and... You know, such a such a pivotal figure for us. You know, and, and you almost feel sorry for him, don't you? When I, I watched the game against Man United on the first first day, and then that game against Norwich, and it's, it's not even a shadow of himself. Just just doesn't look like the player we've seen whatsoever. Which you know will kind of pose more questions n- next summer if if it carries on that way. And I think you you pointed out in the last podcast, Breno, but it's it's quite funny, really, isn't it? That you know Everton have had these kind of managers like Cumin and Sam Allardyce who were. Centre backs in in the time, and you know I think Silva was a left back, full back, yeah, left full back. But you know he, he's kind of had this impact on on Zuma and Mina and Keane. There's all there's all been a kind of notable upturn in their performances that other managers couldn't get. So it's kind of it, it's impressive, you know, that that Silva wants to play football and, and kind of be a little bit more expansive. But he's also, you know, considered with certainly individual performance at the back, and now it's kind of about building the team performance at the back and and making sure. That kind of positive form we had defensively from from the turn of the year continues because at the end of the day you don't concede goals, you won't lose games, and that's what's going to fire us into the the upper echelons of the table. Hopefully, you're going to say top four, then, weren't you? Top yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you resisted. Nil satisfaction off on me, Preno. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just want top half. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm looking wow. for top six still. Top six. Wow, <laughs> wow, that's that's. Could be slandered, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it would if you take anything Sam cut, says seriously. <laughs> well, yeah. um, okay, before we wrap up today's podcast, uh, the customary predictions time. Uh, Preno Bournemouth versus Everton Football Club, Sunday, 2 o'clock. What do you think of I knew this was coming, and I, knew, I was thinking, should we do this? Shall we say that? I was going to go for a ridiculous Sam Carroll kind of prediction and go for 4-1. <laughs> And then I looked, at, I looked at Bournemouth's results over the last couple of games and I'm just going to shave one off that. I think we'll win 3-1, yeah. create chances galore and um, you know, really yeah. get the result that we we need to get at Bournemouth. 3-1 to the Toffees. Adam? 2-1. I think it's going to be close. It, it will be a really, really close game. And, you know, what's sticking with me is, unfortunately, like the away form that we've had, you know, recently it, it just doesn't fill you with confidence, to be honest. So I'm hoping we can put that uh, Aston Villa game firmly behind us. But yeah, I think it'll be a close game, definitely. Sam, I'm gonna say nil-nil. Get a corner last minute, whipped in, and because we've been speaking about him, Big Yeti. 
<laughs> sends the away fans into Raptors. Wow, be amazing. Take any of those outcomes. Yeah. 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 Nice clean Not great for filing copy. But... <laughs> no, no. I hope that happens just to spoil your <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me and you are going to yeah. it on. Uh, I've covered the 3-3 three, three down there, so nothing can, <laughs> uh, nothing can uh, disturb me in that respect. Yeah, I, I agree with Adam. I think I think we will uh, shave it 2-1. You okay. were the person that ran on the pitch when Barkley scored, wasn't you? Yeah. <laughs> with the yeah, ones there. Yeah. <laughs> that was me, yeah. Should have seen uh, Chris Beasley will be with us on... Uh, on Sunday you should have seen the look on his face when that third goal went <laughs> in the bomb I mean, we, I, everybody was sick as a parrot but the poor lad I think he went to file sooner than I did just looked beaten <laughs> was it, did you also have to do the Chelsea game that season that was another roller coaster, wasn't it? Oh, don't remind me yeah that was uh, that was quite an eventful few months wasn't it well um, hopefully positive result no late drama despite Sam's prediction uh, a comfortable victory wrapped up well uh, early in the second half that'll do us nicely won't it so fingers crossed for something like that uh, thank you for your company chaps and thank you for listening um, remember you can subscribe rate and review us on iTunes and the Acast app you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo